0: This is the story of the church, restored to its former glory, to what God intended it to be. This was Hezekiah's revival, our pathway to awakening. Well, good morning. I love I love the story of Hezekiah. I love the spiritual awakening that the people in his day enjoyed. And I want it for our church. I think you probably feel that too. I want to tell you a story of... Uh, I took my, my kids, my whole family, to this uh, children's museum, and in this museum, they had a, a uh, hands-on room where the kids could do various experiments or try to solve various puzzles, and my kids are having a blast. One of my daughters said, Dad, come here, and she hands me 11 of these huge nails spikes, and she says, Dad, I, I have a challenge for you. Can you balance all 11 of them on top of this little spike? And I'm like, can it be done? And she's like, it can be done. I can do it. You know, don't you love when your kids make you feel like an idiot? And I said, all right, I'll try, you know, and I couldn't do it. And I finally concluded, if, if dad can't do it, it can't be done. Well, my daughter had talked to one of the museum employees and had learned, how to do it. And so she showed me, starts laying these nails like this. And to my amazement, obviously, if, if I'm doing it now, I watched her carefully and learned the trick. But to my amazement, uh, my daughter Jorah lifted it up and put it onto the top of that nail. And there it is, huh? I'll try to give you all the different angles of it. Isn't that cool? Mm, that's so much fun. Well, I don't know what you see. You know, Maybe you just say, well, that's cool. But I see a theological principle when I look at this that I'd like to share with you. Uh, right away, I thought to myself, that is an illustration of Christian community, supernatural community, just as we are amazed at how these nails can be held together in this unity of a single point. So Christian community is mind-blowing. It's amazing. It's supernatural. When we see people, Christians, come together in a group, my small group, I'll, I'll be honest, I've been in the last seven years with, in the same small group, and the guys in my group, I, I see them when I, when I look at this picture of unity here. If each nail represents an individual... My small group shouldn't be able to get together. We're very different. Uh, I, I am not, but they are all sinners, and they are very difficult <laughs> to get along with. Such radically unique personalities. And yet somehow we came together. And you ask, well, what is that somehow that you came together? Well, let's go back to the nails here. How are, there's no glue. How are the nails being able to stay together on a single point like that? And the answer is that there 's a force outside of the nails that 's acting upon them. that force is giving them the power to hold together. What is that force? It is gravity. Uh, if you can tell what 's going on here the the nails are being pulled down, and then there 's a lever action as they lean on the lower nail here, and the heads of the nail cling to this top nail. The heads cling with the, the lever action and so By the force of gravity, they're holding together. Similarly, in Christian community, there's a force outside ourselves that starts to act within us, and that force is the Holy Spirit. God gives ordinary sinners a supernatural love for one another that is not of this world. And in Christian community, we start to come together, and we bond in a way. We share life in unity in a way that is... From another world. It's supernatural. And as a result, you know, if, if it wasn't for them coming together in this way, these nails would be on the floor, laying flat. And similarly, our lives are just flat. But in community, we can raise up to a whole nother level of excellence, reflecting the very nature of Christ, because God's using us in each other's lives to list, lift us up. Is this something you've experienced? Have you tasted of the supernatural biblical community that God has for us? I hope you have, and I hope even more so that you will in the days ahead. Let's go back to our series. Let's do a quick review. If we could put the the various weeks up. We learned that uh, the, the five weeks we've taken a look at so far, the keys to Hezekiah's great spiritual awakening was serving Uh, serving in the community, we all must be servants, worship, passionately pursuing the glory and the face of God through song, outreach to those far from God in our community, giving generously, living a nine-apple lifestyle and tithing 10% to the cause of God. And then this fifth week, we're looking at gathering, Gathering is this community dynamic where rather than living lives of isolation we come together in relational bonds of community and I'm going to make two applications one would be coming together here at church at this weekend service this is one form of gathering together but another one that I'm going to point to is small groups or mid-sized groups where we come again to be in each other's lives and that was part of Hezekiah's great awakening. Let me give you the context before I jump into the text. All right? The Bible says that Hezekiah was leading this unbelievable spiritual awakening and right when everything was going so well, the Assyrians attacked. Remember Sennacherib? We learned about him, this evil king of Assyria back in the uh, artifact series. Well, Sennacherib arrives with his mighty army. He has been just going through every nation, the Assyrian Empire crushed the, the, the Near East. And sure enough, he has arrived in the land of Hezekiah, the land of Judah. And as Hezekiah sees or hears of the army approaching Jerusalem, he does something. Let's look together at what he does. I'm reading now out of Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 6. It says, Hezekiah appointed military officers over the people. Stop, right there. This word people is profoundly significant. And you may say, Jeff, I'm not seeing it. Here's the deal. Uh, Throughout the book of 2 Chronicles, there are a number of times when military officers are appointed, all right? But every time, the text reads, the military officers are appointed over the men, In every case, it's clearly a time to organize fighting soldiers. These men are mobilized into troops and leaders are put over each group. But in this text, it doesn't say the men. It says the people. And there's an Old Testament scholar by the name of Sarah Jephet. And she points out that this is very significant because Hezekiah was not getting ready for normal hand-to-hand combat. Hezekiah was getting ready for siege warfare. And though hand-to-hand combat only involves the men who are officially soldiers, siege warfare involves the whole citizenship of that town. Do you remember what siege warfare is? Siege warfare is what uh, the Assyrians were known for. They'd come to a fortified or walled city, and they'd just camp out outside. And they say, we're going to wait you guys out. We know you have limited water. You have limited food within the wall. We'll wait until you start to crumble and you give up. And so siege warfare was a battle of the soul to persevere. And Hezekiah knew what kind of battle was coming. And so when he looked to his leaders, he said to them, I'm going to give you a unique assignment. I'm going to put each of you over groups of people, not just soldiers. But the entirety of our population has got to be divided into groups. And I'm going to put a leader over each one of them. And leaders, you must mobilize them to win this battle. You've got to encourage them. They're going to want to open the door and to give up and to surrender. You must help them persevere. And it's a picture of what the church is. Similarly, we're a people who are under attack There's a battle to persevere in the faith. And we do so better when we've been grouped up and organized into small groups, when we have a shepherd or a spiritual leader who's been placed over our care. And so I will unabashedly challenge every single one of us to step into a small group. We'll talk more about that. The verse goes on, though. Hezekiah appointed military officers over the people... And he assembled them, all of them, before him in the square at the city gate. This is a reference to a large group gathering like this one. Hezekiah said, I need to have you in groups with leaders over each group, but I also need to have you all come together. So Hezekiah said, I can proclaim something to you. What do you think he's going to proclaim? Let me tell you, it's really fascinating to read. So let's read together. Here's verse 6. Then Hezekiah encouraged them. Here's his goal, his objective to administering to his people is to give them courage, to fill them with that encouragement. He encouraged them by saying, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Some of you are like, That sounds familiar. I think I've heard be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. That is a biblical text that's found throughout the Bible, actually. First, those words were offered by Moses in the end of Deuteronomy to the people of Israel. Those words were offered to Joshua at the beginning of Joshua 1 by God himself. God encouraged Joshua with those words. King David gave those same words to his son Solomon. And so this biblical refrain, Hezekiah says, people, let's gather. I need to remind you of a biblical challenge. And then Hezekiah applies the Bible to their specific situation. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria. That's their particular problem. The king of Assyria is the application here. Don't be discouraged by the king of Assyria or his mighty army. Four. For there is a power far greater on our side. Isn't that beautiful? He may have a great army, but remember, they're just men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. Hezekiah has brought together the people of Israel, and he is reminding them of of the Bible, the biblical principle. He's applying it to their situation, and he's opening their eyes to spiritual realities they would otherwise forget. He's saying, people, when you look at the arrival of this enemy, when you see the size of his army, when it's natural to panic, can I remind us all of something unseen but very real? Almighty God is by our side right now. And he is stronger than any army of mere men. One of the great powers of gathering in the name of Christ of opening the Bible, whether it be in a large group like this or in a small group Bible study, is that we are reminded of spiritual realities that we would otherwise forget. Something about coming together in the name of Jesus in the context of that community, our eyes are opened up to the greater picture of reality that we would fail to connect with if it wasn't for that community that comes together in the name of Christ in the opening of his word. Does that make sense? Hezekiah knew how essential this was because he understood what was about to take place. Hezekiah understood the Assyrian attack. Well, let me read on what, what took place, and you'll understand why this type of encouragement was so necessary. I'm now in verse 18. The Assyria, they've arrived at the wall of Jerusalem. The Assyrian officials who brought the letters, they shouted in Hebrew, the language of the people in Jerusalem. They shouted to the people gathered on the walls of the city. They shouted trying to terrify them so that it would be easier to capture the city. Isn't that interesting? These Assyrians arrive, and they start screaming messages of discouragement to the people of Jerusalem who have lined up on top of the wall to check out the arrival of the enemy. And so Hezekiah knew they're about to be bombarded with messages of discouragement. I must prepare them, counteract those negative messages with the truth of God's word. Let me give you a sampling of what the Assyrian message was. What did... They shouted a lot. You can read about it in uh, chapter 32. But I'll just read a couple of verses. First verse 15. It says, they shouted, Don't let Hezekiah fool you like this. I say it again, no God of any nation or kingdom has ever yet been able to rescue his people from me, says Sennacherib, or my ancestors. How much less will your God rescue you? from my power. Wow. This is psychological warfare. Do you get it? This is battle in the mind, and we all have that same psych- psychological warfare in us every day of every normal week. The enemy is saying, Hezekiah trying to make them question the heart of their leader, Hezekiah is trying to fool you. He's trying to trick you. Don't buy it. And there's a real negative message about them implied here. You're, You're being fooled. You are a fool. You are gullible. You are naive. He says, listen, no god of any nation has ever been able to stand up to the mighty power of Assyria. We are a problem that will destroy you. You have no hope. Your problem is too big. It will crush you. That's the message that's coming here. And if if you did think that your God is going to save the day, your God is a joke. The message here says, if you're placing faith in a God, if you're religious, look how well that's worked for these other nations. They've all been destroyed. Your your trust in a spiritual being is laughable, anti-intellectual, and pathetic. Wow. And then he says here, this is interesting, How much less? If these other nations and their God was destroyed, how much less will your God rescue you? He's saying you're even less. You and your God are even more pathetic than those other countries. This is an attack at the very self-worth of these people and their faith. Wow. Folks, there's a battle going on. These people stand on the wall and they're being swayed by this enemy that is shouting to them these, these statements about themselves and about God and about their problem and about their future. And Hezekiah has gathered them to say the opposite. What will they believe? We're in this battle. Are you aware of that? We feel this tension. Let me give you another uh, thing that they shouted that you'll relate to. This is actually, uh, not only is Hezekiah's story found in Second Chronicles, it's also found in Second Kings. And I want to read a verse from Second Kings. Verse 31 of chapter 18. They, they shouted this. They shouted, These are the terms of the king of Assyria. The terms he's offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree You can continue drinking from your own well. As they're starved, as they are so thirsty, they feel they're going to die. The the message is give up. Come out and fill yourself with food and water. What's the appeal here? The appeal is to put comfort over cause. Cause. The appeal here is, don't this old the kingdom of God. We need to fight for the glory of Jerusalem and God's people, Israel. Forget that. Don't you hurt yourself for the sake of the cause. You choose comfort over cause. Just come out. Give up. Open the doors. And fill yourself so that you're at ease. Boy, do we have that same message bombarded towards us. Uh, the world says a materialistic message of, Don't worry about glorious causes like God's. You spend your money and your time and your life on trying to make you as happy and comfortable as possible. Don't sacrifice. Don't give of yourself for God's cause. It's all about you, right? And so we, too, find ourselves in this psychological warfare. And here's the deal. We are all influenced by the voices and the cultures that we live in. If we live in isolation from Christian community that is formed to reestablish God's worldview, God's perspective, we'll start to think like the world around us. We'll start to believe that we don't matter, that we're really powerless against the, the problems in our lives, that we should just simplify our lives to focusing on trying to live the best life we can and then die. We, we would buy the world's value system But if we press into Christian community, both in this gathering and in small groups, we will be reminded again and again, our eyes will be opened to the biblical truth of who God is, of who we are to God, of what our problems are in light of God's greatness, about what the true point of life is. And you say, oh, I don't need Christian community to remember that. I'm not influenced by people. Peer pressure is not just for junior hires. We are all slaves to the cultures we live in to a degree. And so we must stay connected to Christian brothers and sisters who will reinforce to us that biblical worldview. I'll give you just kind of a goofy illustration of this and the power that this has in our souls I I had to get my driver's license renewed. It had expired, and I have a new address. And so I went down to one of the most glorious places on planet Earth, and that is uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles. And I came walking in. I kind of knew it was going to be a challenge, so I kind of prepped myself. All right, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I charged into the... I mean, this room, there was no oxygen left. I mean, it was packed with people... And lines everywhere. Got a little confused, to be honest with you. And I I saw a guy wearing the uniform, and so I kind of squeezed through up to him to ask him which line I should be in. And before I even got a word out of my mouth, he goes, sir, to the end of the line. And I'm like, oh, I'm not cutting. I just want to make sure I get in the right line. To the end of the line. Okay. Now, if you work there, I'm sure you're really nice. Some of your co-workers <laughs> could be a little kinder. Anyways, so I I go to the end of the line, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and then I get into this maze, you know, where it's got the little ropes there, and you just, you feel like cattle, really, you know, and the guy was like, keep moving, keep moving, okay, you know, and, I'm, oh. yeah, and that your dignity is escaping by the moment, and then To make matters worse, I get to the end of the line, and I am no longer a name. I am now a number. They say, you are number 317. Sit down until your number is called. Okay, you know, I am 317, and I sit down, you know, and I just wait. And I look, you know, as these numbers are flashed. and Finally, they say, 317. That's who I am. And I go up to the table, you know, and this lady is just very gruff with me. And she goes, let me see your paperwork, you know. And she says, uh, "I had forgotten to fill out my weight." She goes, "You didn't fill out your weight. Are you still what your old license says?" She looks at it, 175 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I was at one time a long time ago. She goes, "What did I put down?" And I'm like, "Come here. <laughs> I don't want to tell it out loud, you know." <laughs> Everybody's listening at this point, and I'd rather not proclaim it. So I whispered it to her. Is it wrong to lie on your weight, on your driver's license? I, spiritually, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I lied a little bit. Yeah. And then and then she goes, go, time to get your picture taken. So I go, and I wait in another line, and then uh, they call me, and it was... She, I was ready for a real nice photo shot, you know, and she's like, sit down, look at the camera. I sit down, look. Uh, No cheese, no smile, you know, just get it done, you know. And then I go and they say, I got a compliment. This was the first valuing statement I got in the whole experience. The, The lady said, you're still an organ donor. Thank you for that commitment. So really, I learned that the only value I bring is when I die and they cut me up (laughs) and distribute my pieces. Really, that's what I'm worth, you know, right there, you know. And I walked out of that place with my driver's license, and if I lived in that environment all the time, what would I think about myself? I would think I am worth the sum of my bodily organs and that I am a nuisance and that I am a pain in the neck and that I am a number, and that I don't matter. And in a little way, that experience is kind of what our world is like. Our world is reinforcing these perspectives that are painfully discouraging. And we'll buy it. We'll believe it subconsciously, whether we say it out loud or not. And how do we counteract that and live a victorious life? We get connected to a community that believes otherwise that will encourage us and grab us by the shoulders and remind us that we are a child of Almighty God. And though invisible, he is by our side. And though our problems are big, he is bigger. And though our lives feel insignificant, we have been called to a cause that is eternal, and he will use us in a life of significance. And without this community of God reinforcing the biblical perspective, We will all crumble in this world. Now, I want to clarify that there are so many blessings that community brings to our lives. This text is bringing out one of the biggest, and that is that in this world that is reinforcing, shouting a message that is untrue, biblical community holds high the truth of God's word and helps us live in the greater reality, the spiritual reality of what the Bible says is real. I'd like to go uh, to a picture of my small group. Uh, can we do that? Uh, really an incredible group of guys. We, this picture was taken last fall. We were in India on a missions trip, standing in front of the Taj Mahal right here. And it's, it's an extraordinary group. We uh, For the last seven years... These seven guys met, we met every single Friday morning from 6 a.m. to 8 o'clock in the morning in the church basement. That was a sacrifice, at least for me. Getting up that early was really, really tough. And God did something special. We couldn't stand each other at moments. We fought and we got into tension, but we fought to resolve it. And God bound our hearts together in an unbelievable way. And the impact that we had on each other as a result of gathering every week for seven years was difficult to put into words. I will tell you, one of the greatest pains in me making this move to the Compass Church was saying goodbye to this band of brothers. In our final small group together, we started sharing just kind of spontaneously of what our group has meant to each other. And one of the guys said, this group saved my marriage. He goes, you know what my marriage has gone through in the last seven years? And he says, I'm telling you, without this group, I would have given up on my marriage a long time ago. Another guy said, this group saved my career, my company. When the economy crashed, he says, as you know, I was just ready to bail. You guys gave me the courage to lead on. You gave me wisdom to know what to do. And he said, you even gave me money to do it. Another guy said, I spiritually would be doomed if it was not for this group. He said, I'd never been in a small group before, as you know. He said, and when I came to this group, I had been a Christian for a few years and my spiritual life wasn't going anywhere. I I didn't know why. I had received Christ, but nothing came of it. And he says, in the last seven years, I have fallen in love with Jesus Christ and seen him turn my life upside down in the most beautiful ways. And he preached a little bit. I was eating it up. He said, I will for the rest of my life be a part of, of a small group of Christian community. He said, I know that without it, my spiritual life will crumble. So he said, I will not allow myself to not be in Christian community again. And we all affirmed the same. Folks, it was beautiful. I I thank God for the change in me as a result of sharing fellowship with these guys. Now, I'd like to go back to how the group began seven years ago. Uh, the Lord stirred in me to initiate this group. And some of you may say, Jeff, you're a pastor. Of course you did that. I mean, you just kind of live for groups. There are group people who are naturally drawn to, to community and to groups. I'm not one of them. I have a natural uh, hatred of, of small groups. Uh, they wig me out. Uh, there's rela- relational problems and tensions and awkwardness, and it's just not who I am. In fact, uh, seven years ago, my wife and I had been part of a couples group that didn't go real well. For a time, it was okay, and then it fizzled. And I think like half a year had passed, and I wasn't part of a group. And unfortunately, I know the Bible and I was horribly convicted about my lack of being in community, and as I prayed about it, God kept on saying, what are you doing, pastor? You're not leading by example. All right, all right, God, I'll do it, I'll do it, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it, I'll do it. And so I, to those of you who are just naturally terrified by this proposition, I can relate. What I did was I made a list of guys that I had met that I just thought, you know, I think, I didn't even know them that well at the time, but I said, I think God wants me to start a men's group with, I'll give these other six guys a try. And as I made the list and as I picked up my phone, touching the buttons was nearly killing me. Have you ever had that experience? Going, oh. I mean, how can I be so afraid of a little black box? But hitting send was agonizing for me. And then uh, an awkward conversation. Hi, it's Jeff Griffin. Yes, Pastor Jeff Griffin. Yeah, uh, i was starting a little... Uh, this is a Friday morning Bible study with a group of guys. Didn't know, no pressure. Didn't know if you want to be a part of it. But every Friday morning for the rest of your life, not quite, but <laughs> 6 a.m. in the church basement, you know. And to my shock, all six of them, upon thinking about it, responded, Amen. And getting over the hump of that awkwardness was very difficult. And oddly enough, I find myself there again. You know, I said goodbye to my group. Our season, I was still going to be friends for eternity, but now it's time for me to start another group, you know, in the Compass Church. And uh, you'd say, well, Jeff, now that you know how sweet group life is, aren't you just inspired? Yes and no. Yes, and I can't wait for it to happen, but I am still the same person, and I am intimidated by the social and relational dynamics of this, and I'm going to struggle to push those buttons. God's calling some of you to push some buttons, to take the first step in the pursuit of Christian community. We've tried to make it as easy as possible, but I'll tell you it's still going to be hard. You say, I made it easy as possible. Let me, let me show you a, a card that you should have received. In fact, why don't you pull it out right now? There was a card as you came in that you were given called Experience Community. And This has a number of boxes that you can check that is essentially the first step towards entering the pursuit of Christian community. One of the boxes is simply, hey, I'm in a group, and I'm going to continue my involvement of that group. Another box says, I'd love to be contacted by someone who can talk to me about options of potential groups I could be in. You can check that box. Another one says, hey, I'd be willing to lead a group. And maybe like what I just described, you're crazy too, and you're feeling God's prompting to start a group. Check that and say, hey, I'm going to start a group on my own. Or maybe you can talk to someone and we can provide you a group and you can lead it. You can check, I'd be willing to lead. Or on the back, a couple creative options that we came up with. One of them here, you'll see the Stranger Sermon Series on campus groups. Here at Hobson, during the series, The Stranger, it's a five-week series. And so on the Saturday mornings of the next weekend, all right, for five weeks, I'm going to lead a large group discussion about the sermon, all right? Uh, If you're already in a small group, this is not for you, I want to clarify. This is for folks who'd like to taste community, small group life. I'm going to lead a discussion. We'll have tables And as I lead from up front and as your group around the table talks, you'll begin to taste some of the beauty of doing life together. So if you'd like to be a part of that five Saturday morning uh, Taste of Community, come to that. You can check that box. Or Brett Lilly, our 95th campus pastor, is doing a mid-sized group Taste of Small Groups focused on marriage called Marriage Blah Blah Blah. Uh, You, it's going to be more inspiring than the title. You uh, can grow your marriage and taste community. Even though it's at the 95th campus, Hobson people are welcome to be a part of that. Is the Spirit of God stirring you? You shaking in your boots like I am? Let's courageously recognize the necessity of Christian community and respond to God. Well, we're going to put these cards in the offering plate as they're about to pass, be passed by. But I also want to remind you that we're going to take our benevolence offering as well. We chose to receive benevolence this week because benevolence is all about community. It's all about us saying, we're in this together. If you don't understand, if you're new to our church, benevolence is us giving money that goes to help folks in our church who are in a really tough situation a needy spot. And so uh, just like my small group in that there was giving to one another to help each other out, so in our church through benevolence, we, our community, we say to each other, you're not alone. We're in this together. We're family. And so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive an offering that's the benevolence offering, and you can put in your experience community card at the same time. Okay, let's pray. God, we love the fact that you love community. You are community, God. We just recognize you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are a family within yourself, the Trinity, three in one. And we want to be a church that reflects who you really are. God, we're scared. We had a bad experience in a small group once, and we just kind of gave up on it. Would you give us a passion to persevere in the pursuit of your ideal? And would you give us each the glorious privilege of enjoying Christian community. Lead us, empower us, give us the guts to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.